Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Giving Starts With You podcast. I'm Nelia Hutt, and I'm so happy to have you back again. Sometimes people come on the show and they really, really, well, they, let me say this. Every guest that has come on the show has impacted me. But for some reason, this special lady that's coming on, I feel a deep connection with her and she's a beautiful soul and I can't wait for you to hear all about her. Um, Today we have Natalie Jo Flynn. She's a dual certified nurse practitioner and functional health coach, certified life coach and founder of Move That Mountain Health and Life Coaching. She believes that everyone who wants to get well can with the right support steps and accountability. I love her message. Welcome Natalie Joe to the show. How are you today? I am very good. Thank you, Nelia. I'm so excited about this and being here and I just feel honored and blessed that um, you're doing this work and that we have this opportunity to share. Because I think well, thank that's you. important. Thank you for being, you know, courageous enough and brave enough to to come on and want to share with us knowing that it will help um, our listeners. So I appreciate that. And I'm sure they do too. So let's, uh, I know we got a lot to talk about. So let's dive right in. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about you. And maybe you can tell us your story. Great. Well, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised. I've spent a year of college in LA. And I've spent six and a half years living in the mountains of Colorado. But most of the time I've spent here in Northeast Ohio and I, I love it. I love it here. The change of seasons is great. I am born in 1970. I'll tell you a little bit about my background. And I've actually, I think for the, for our listeners and for my message that I really want to get out, I'd, I'd like to go ahead and I'll jump right in with the story that I'd like to share. And then we can, you know, chat about some different questions and different specific things that I'd like to elaborate on. Okay. So um, my story unfolds in the usual way, Um, what life was like, what happened, and then where I am today. The insanity of my life prior to, uh, actually, I, I recovered, began recovery from alcohol abuse in 12 of 16. So the insanity of my life prior to that recovery goes back to an early age where I am an only child of a single young parent. My parents divorced when I was two and a half. 
I feel my home life was safe as a young person. However, I recall looking for acceptance from strangers starting around the age of four to five. I was molested by my grandmother's third husband, who I'm, who I looked up to as a figure of safety and knowledge for many years. And this contributed to probably the events to come in my life that started at a young age, I believe in about six years old. And I can honestly say that I was probably an addict waiting to happen according to the definition. Um, I don't like to call myself an addict or an alcoholic. I, being a, and I'm, AA people will probably cringe, but I think through what I've discovered being a health professional, being study of psychology and all these things, I, I feel like the events that took place in my life, it was, of course, a solution. And I believe that I feel more comfortable saying that I was, you know, I suffered from alcohol abuse disorder. So that being said, I was, as, as a young person, I think I started being addicted to people, addicted to belonging and being accepted by people where I didn't fit in, yet I so desperately wanted to. I always felt unliked, shunned, unpopular, ashamed, ugly, which I can contribute probably to have been being molested. I would obsess about being accepted and being part of the in crowd, wanting to look like, act like, dress like, and do all the things the in crowd did. I was judging my inside from other people's outsides. I was consumed with the stress as a young person. Um, I hardly able to live a real life or learn or experience who I was or appreciate me at all. I would seem to befriend the underdog person who would go along with my shenanigans of putting myself in situations to be noticed by those I dreamed of being like, basically using my friend as a token. And this was very young person this started. So this crazed obsessed thinking turned itself over to teenhood where the drink came in handy with, um, with it. I wasn't obsessing about these people. Now I was one of them. I was fun and loud and funny and self-made popular. I was a bully because I thought it made me seem tough because that was easier than knowing I wasn't accepted. I never gave me or anyone else a chance to even be liked. I just assumed that it was not possible. So I pushed everyone away by fighting or just being treacherous to them as a human. And that way I had proof that, that they didn't like me. Drinking in college was easy. <clears throat> Finally, I got in with the in crowd, serious about having fun. Finally, I could do what fun people did and go out on weekends and go out dancing and drinking. And I was occupied with making myself available so I wouldn't miss out on any fun. And this was the greatest. I found friends and as soon as I was accepted, I would soon and inevitably hurt them at the first sign of my insecurity tapping in. And this led to cycles of me longing to belong and be accepted, then self-sabotaging the relationship, hating myself for proving I was unworthy and then fighting to be forgiven and to re re remain part of the group. That was kind of like that emotional turmoil cycle that it was horrifying and, and it was deeply painful, but it was where I knew to be. It's like, it was it, it's sick comfort. And I of course discovered that later in life after going through some healing longing to belong and being accepted, and then sabotaging the relationship and hating myself for proving I was unworthy and then fighting to be forgiven and remain part of the group. <clears throat> 
See, when I would drink, it started off as fun and funny. And then quickly I would turn that into sabotage, self-hate and insecurity. And the insecurity and lack of belonging and self-centeredness inside would emerge like this alien beast lashing out at anyone having a better time than me. Um, I would accuse innocent people of innocent people having fun of talking bad about me, all made up in my head simply because that's how I felt about myself. And looking over my life, I had several instances where I know that God was super important to me and I can see where the path of God was present. I attribute God to a lot of this because at a young age, I was introduced to God through an aunt who since passed. And it was kind of always in the back of my head that there was this other being that was there kind of looking over me. And I felt this comfort in that. However, it got pushed away through my teenage years. Um, at age 20, I became this huge charismatic hypocrite and I continued to drink. Meanwhile, feeling the inspiration of the teachings of the church, I really feel like that I had the Lord in my heart and then things would slowly fade. I managed to suffer like that for the next 20 years or so in cyclones of self-hate, relationship sabotage, guilt, suffering, and selfish repentance. It was just a constant emotional turmoil. And throughout my life, I was touched by the spirit of God and it was just a, I didn't talk about much, but I had, it, it was like a known thing. It's, it's strange to explain. It's like, I almost felt like this comfort of armor, even though I was being this massive bulldozer through life, like manipulating and, and just stepping on people and things. It's, that's kind of the vision that I have looking back at who I was. But deep inside, I always knew I was this good person trying to get out, this good person trying to beg and plead other people to like me. But even though I just didn't have anything on the outside to like, it was this battle that was always going on between myself and myself. Um, and people would even say, you know, we like you, but when you do things like that, it makes it hard. And ever since a young person, I was hearing think so my comfort place was <clears throat> the internal need for proving myself to those that I hurt just pleading and begging trying to get some acceptance so fast forward to a great career master's degrees I have the mass thought well hiding behind this nurse nurse degree was great yeah I'm a nurse so I became what I was instead of who I was it became this this plaque of I'm a nurse and I could walk along and hold this paper in front of me, but here I was behind it, but here I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a nurse and, oh, that's great. You know, when people thought that was great, I felt I was great. So <clears throat> getting the master's degrees and then getting the postmasters and the prestige of making lots of money, I had established, I had an established reputable profession and I feel like it was the only thing about me reputable. I was now the in person and I, and I felt like I did it myself. I hid behind that title, which was my ticket in. Meanwhile, feeling like a personal fraud. Being lost in my high and mighty, untouchable, above the law, I can't happen to me, self-centered life, which I used as a weapon and a ticket for being, um, I finally truly self-sabotaged. I lost my job. The one thing that I had as my defense crumbled like sand. Uh, the drinking had gotten to the point where I could no longer hide. My lies and manipulations and cover-ups were exposed. 
And one day I went into work smelling like a vat of liquor, wobbling around and I was called out and I surrendered for a blood alcohol test. And it was 10.30 in the morning that day. <clears throat> I wasn't working, but I was in the place of work. So because I was in the establishment, it counted. And my blood alcohol for any ER people out there know 277 is almost a coma for somebody my size. And funny thing is we used, I was an ER nurse and nurse practitioner my, most of my career. And we would take bets on people that would come in drunk and see what their alcohol levels were. And if somebody was close to that, they were almost in a coma. So here it was 1030 in the morning. It was gotten pretty bad. <clears throat> um, however, being, you know, being called out on it and, and losing my job right then and there, um, it didn't stop me. I continued to plan for the day that I'd have to quit by going deeper and deeper into the bottle. I ended up getting in trouble with the law, led me to being jailed. And ultimately that was the way I stopped drinking. Um, <clears throat> it was, I spent 60 days in the jail because I couldn't stop drinking, not because of what I did, because I just, I, I couldn't stop drinking and that led to a bond violation. And that judge, as much as I hated her at the time, I thank her almost every day now. Um, that was the life experience. That was the life needed experience. And it sounds bad to some, and it's something that I don't really share openly unless it's in an intimate venue. And I feel like this is okay. This is okay to share this. Um, it was a break I needed. I realized later on that I had been in this vicious tornado of life. I mean, since a young person touching ground for just brief moments. And I had never really ever rested since a young child, always having to fight to belong and be accepted and, you know, sort of working young. I mean, it just, it seems like my life was just always boom, 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 going, going, going. And I know that this, this break, the 60 day break was God's blessing and it was desperately needed to end this deadly twister that I feel like I was in. And while I was there, I was exposed to, exposed to places that God had never been, uh, as well as cultures of ladies who sang and prayed every day. I, I was so blessed by the girls from the illegal immigrants that were, I was in there with. They lived every day singing. They were from four other countries and they sang and prayed and laughed and they were just so thankful for life and love and were just so happy to be here in America that our jail was better for them than going back home where they came from. And I have goosebumps right now because I was so touched by, I mean, God is incredible. The fact that I was put in there and then I, I, I met them and I also was with a, a couple women that were my age too, that we had things in common. One was a nurse, one did horses and, and dogs like I do. And just interesting thinking back, like how dynamic that placement was and how awful people would just, if I would just say what happened, they would just, oh, these horrible thoughts. And it's like, I have to explain, no, 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 it's not, it wasn't bad. It was this wonderful experience. Of course, I didn't realize it till after. Looking back, I can see that it, you can't buy that experience, no matter what. But I, I truly believe that I'm grateful that I made the best of it. So, so 
I just feel like my road to recovery was paved by God and the path that I walk now is just so clear and God got busy in my heart and soul. After the, I let go of the drink, I started to walk and I, I had a path in front of me of completely unknown territory. I never wanted to quit drinking or imagine life without it. How could I possibly ever enjoy life ever? Drinking was my everything. My complete social existence depended on it. I mean, I couldn't go anywhere without knowing that there was going to be a drinking bar. I wouldn't go to a ball game, a concert, a movie, a house party, nothing. Church, sometimes I had something in my coffee. It was horrible. It was awful. I just didn't know how I would survive without it. Um, but now, you know, my after I got out and had two months to be dried up. My move was to not lose my license to practice and um, the legal issues that I got caught up in were, were something I had to battle with the, you know, our local board here. And um, I started to go to support and through a local group here to get the support, the steps and hearing the testimonies of others, I was able to come to terms with not being special. I had this, I was different from you kind of attitude. I'm not one of you. You know, it's just the same old, same old. I, I don't belong in here. I'm different. I'm better. I, but the thing was, I, I, I wasn't and I was not alone. I started to listen. I, I heard my story over and over from the podium. I was soon able to see how um, more important it was for me to heal than to have what I wanted in life. Uh, it was more important for me to heal than to salvage this uh, career that I wasn't even sure was right for me. And the seed was planted and soon the soil began to get watered. And about a year after I removed the drink, I began to catch on to what it's like to be sober. I was sharing and active and began to accept and get honest and feel the love of the Lord in my heart and my words and my activities actually started to become that person that was dug buried deep inside that I always thought I was. My anxieties of what will happen next started to fade. I was able to see the works revealed in me. I was having aha moments left and right. It's like I was coming alive. All the times I've heard, let go, let God, finally started to work. I felt free. I no longer had to manipulate or force things my way. I was comforted and, and knowing that I just wasn't in charge. I had to sit back and be quiet and listen now. I had a great support of um, aunt and mother. I didn't talk much about my childhood because I just, I feel like the support around me, um, I realized just recently that I was there, but I don't think there was any and I question this to this day, and I need to interview my mom again and my grandmother, but I did question the love. I didn't really want to get into that right now, but I do question the love. And now that I've come so far in my personal journey, I, I look at the pain and heartache that my own family went through and how they weren't able to give. And, and, and there was a time when I was a young person and a teenager and even up to, you know, 40s, you know, you want to blame somebody for something. And I went through that blame, like, mom, well, you weren't this and you weren't that. And I was very immature as, into my adult years. And I just remember her saying, you know, and we, my mom said, you know, Natalie, we all have a crappy childhood. And the way she said it was like. Dismissive. Oh. Yes. I'm, 
I'm not, maybe something's wrong. So now I'm at the point where I don't blame anymore. I, I'm at that understanding heart and really trying to help and, and just understand and help because I want, I want my mom to be happy too. So I, I was finding my way and finding a new voice for myself and discovering what my dreams were and where I was in the medical field was not where I needed to be. The fog was lifting. I was able to recognize how much I do matter and what I've accumulated in knowledge was real and that I have a great foundation to start over with. I took a look at myself and said, okay, well, you've lost this and that, but what have you gained and where are you going to go next? So I, my trust and faith kept growing and my heart started to soften and I saw the gifts that I was given and my second chance to make a first impression from the heart and not from a place of cover up and pain and self hate and manipulation. I am able to see how my experiences are my light to help others see their way. And I have a restored mind and heart and soul that if I can turn this around and make, make it what it's meant to be that, you know, anyone, anyone can do it. So that's it in a nutshell. Um, I just, so much there. It's so much reading that it just brings it, you know, I can go off in so many different tangents of explanation and. Natalie Joe, how do you, how do you feel about yourself now? I am like, I'm going to say, wow. Mm, I love that. So beautiful. And I have to, and not in a selfish way, because I want, I don't want to be, um, appear to be like Mm -hmm. great. I just want to appear to be like, I, like I just said, you know, I can do this. So can you? Um, I think I come from a place of peace for sure and giving. And like you, I mean, you see so much pain. You think, you know what? If I could just show you. Mm. It's so simple. I mean, it's not easy. Not by any means. Um, In three short years, I put those boots on and I walked in them. And looking back, I hardly know that person. But I can honestly say when somebody says to me, because I work with a lot of people in recovery, and I can say I'm finally that person, that little person always thought she would be. I just want to hug you right now. I think you're incredible. What bravery. You know, I'm so glad that you felt that this was a safe place um, to share because it sounded like you really needed to get all that out. Like to hear it out loud, you know, and wow, what a, you've come so far. I'm so, so proud of you. You know, you're a beautiful person and I can see like audience can't see you, but I can see your eyes and your, and your love through the screen and, you're so beautiful and I commend you for so many things, so many things. Like listening to your story was like, 
I was getting teary eyed, you know, because I could hear as you were talking the struggle, but the like exhaling when you were telling the story. So as you were getting into your story, I could hear you get a little bit more accepting and a little bit more like you were letting out, you know, your shoulders were coming down, you know, and you were getting more comfortable with it, right? It's just amazing, you know, and and I heard a few other things too. Like I heard a lot of, of course, vulnerability, but a lot of strength. Maybe you haven't heard that enough, but you seem to be a very, very strong person. I know sometimes we hear that and we're like, oh, you have no idea. I'm so not that person. But look at you. I mean, you are. No, you know, I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit. Um, I had a great conversation with a good friend of mine, also a Natalie, yesterday, and we talked about how, as a young person, when you're in that survival mode, you're just like the strength is there, but it's more like I I liken it to like that bulldozer strength, mm. and now. I feel that I use, and, and part of what you've asked other people is where you're, where you see your change, being able to help others. It's like, I, I took that strength and I put it in the right places. So it was like big ball of it because I had to get through something and now I can kind of even it out and divvy it up a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of it has to do with being a survival. I still question things in life. I mean, as far as I've come, I still have a long way to go. And that's what's exciting about this journey is so much to learn and grow and people say do you have any regrets and and i always said no 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 um i can't i, I really can't and and they say oh i hear people saying oh you're i'm too old for that or i'm too old to start over and i think you know what no i can't find the words to say how it feels to just feel so good for the first time in my whole life. I think we can feel it. I went, you don't I mean, I went through like survivor remorse. Like if I, I felt guilty for, for doing so well when other people aren't. And I'm like, well, the only way I can like reconcile that is to just keep giving, keep helping. Mm, I'm not keeping beautiful. it in. I'm not keeping it to myself. So that's how I get through that. A couple of other things that I heard in your story that I wanted to, to talk about is you said you were hiding behind, you know, your diploma and you were hiding behind being a nurse and your title and everything. This is another reason why it's so important for people that are listening to not judge people by how they look on the outside. Because, you know, sometimes we'll look at somebody, they have everything together, and they're really, really struggling with who they are, and they're struggling inside. This is why it's so important 
to be kind to each other and to not, not assume things about people. You know, like you can really, really do a lot of damage to someone when you're just making blatant comments or, you know, you just don't know, you know, and I found sometimes when people do look like they have it all together, we resent them. And I don't know why that is, you know, but really we all have things that we hide. We all have a part of ourselves that we're not comfortable with or that things, traumatic things have happened. And I think just for us that are listening, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I think we all are in a way to just remember um, part of, uh, of that story as being as well. Don't judge other people, you know, and remember, cause when you were talking about the bullying as well too, this is another, you know, I was thinking it's true. People that bully are people that are hurting. I will tell you that my motto, since I learned this, since I've been on this journey of, of, you know, healing and, and just self-discovery. And there's a book, Hurt People, Hurt People. And I'm like, I am the poster child for that since beginning because um, that's what I did. I spent my whole life as a hurt person hurting others and it makes so much sense. I also want to comment on what you said about the professional hiding behind that. <clears throat> It's sad because the expectation of who I was because of what I did was so great that I wasn't allowed to, well, that's self-doing, of course. I didn't feel like I had the permission to be a human. I had to be my title all the time, be this perfect, Oh, you're a nurse practitioner. You have this, all the assumptions that go with. And what you said was right on about judging. And I think too, and I find this in a lot of medical professionals that we don't want to let our guard down because we don't want to let anybody know we're real. Yes. We have this false, this false we have a degree, yeah, we know, or we know what our degree says, we could do this work however we're still people, and a lot of professionals and health professionals won't get help and reach out because of the stigma that they have to uphold a certain um, characteristic and a, a certain value. Mm -hmm. To be respected, society, right? Right, to base it on society. And I have huge for the last couple of years of black cloud because of, I mean, I had that, like how many, how many people can I really share this openly with about my situation and how delicate I need to be. And you know what? I think we need to be more open healthcare professionals are struggling with addiction issues and pain and, and, and aloneness. I mean, you're burnout. Alone. It's just, it's a lonely place because you're putting on this facade all the time. You don't even know who you are anymore. And I struggle with that. Even when I was, I was thinking about doing this interview with you and looking back at my childhood and thinking, did I even have a vision of myself? Even when I said, I'm, I'm going to nursing school, I never even envisioned myself as a nurse. I just envisioned myself getting through school, 
be able to say I did that. And um, it's just a very interesting, this talk has really opened up a lot of thoughts for me that I haven't thought about for a while to be continued, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It, it's meant to be thought provoking, right? Right. I have a couple of questions for you though. Like, have you forgiven yourself? Because I feel that, you know, I can hear it in your voice that you have, but in, in a way that you're still, you're still working on that, you know, and I love that you're continuing that journey. It's a good question because I was berated, actually, I will say berated by uh, somebody that says, you know, oh, you can just quit drinking and, and go to AA and you just can forgive yourself and forget everybody else. You just just tell them you're sorry and apologize. It's not that easy. Let me guess. Is this somebody who has not been addicted to anything? Well, they haven't admitted it yet. So, yes. <laughs> so the thing was, it's like, you know, I thought about that and I thought, you know, we go through this thing where you, where one of the stages is to make amends for people you have harmed and hurt. And whether it's in person or, and a lot of mine had to be through God. You can't always reach out. It's not always safe. It's not always the right thing. Some people are gone. They've died. Can't always make those amends where you have to. And, and that's where my faith has come in and say, you know what, God, I really can't reach this person, but I just pray that you have made their life not affected by something I did or have let them come to terms with something. And I mean, I have a lot of pain. I've hurt so many people. But you've been hurt by so many people. But it was self-inflicted. Yeah, so I still struggle a little bit with that self-forgiveness. But the thing is, is I have to rely that, um, that the series of events in everyone's life has protected them in some way and found them the, the, the support that they need. Um, if I can't do it myself, I just hope that that their life, their path is, is helping them heal. If, and if I had anything to do with any pain, it's hard. It's, that is hard um, to not be able to make amends in a lot of times. But as far as myself goes, you know, I can say, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I apply that to people all the time and, and I have to apply it to myself also. I didn't know. I think we're so hard on ourselves, aren't we? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, we definitely are. We are the hardest on ourselves. And I think that um, it's, it's okay to a point, however, recognizing it and using it as a superpower is better oh yeah that's where i'm at it's kind of like uh, don't be so hard on why is it happening why is why are you feeling like that okay what let's put mm -hmm. them into a positive or a, a useful energy it takes a lot of thought to kind of redirect yourself um it's practice you have to do it, it consciously. It's doable. It's completely doable. I promise anybody who's listening that wants to better themselves don't think that it's not doable because it just takes that first step. I mean, when I was sitting in the jailhouse and I remember it was New Year's. I was in there over Christmas and New Year's. Um, and that first year I said, I don't make a New Year's resolution. But my first year I said, I'm, I'm making a year of honesty. 
And that whole year, no matter what came across my head, I didn't think of myself really as a liar, but lying is a way of protection for a lot of people. And you just do it subconsciously because you're trying to protect. Like, I can't tell the truth because I'm going to be hurt or somebody else is going to be hurt. So we lie and it never comes out right. So when I made that vow of honesty, it was just kind of like a trigger. Every time I just made the one promise to myself and that whole year, anytime something came into my head, I would catch it, catch it, catch it. And then pretty soon after a few months, I didn't have to think about it anymore. It was just, I'm just an honest person. And boy, did that change. That makes life a lot easier too. And then the next year was um, positivity. That's amazing. No matter what, no matter what, I'm going to spin it. And do you know how many people don't like it when you're positive? (laughs) That's a struggle right there. Why are you so positive? (laughs) And I'm sure it was one of the most difficult things that you've had to do, but one of the most rewarding. And look at you now. So tell me, tell me about Move That Mountain. Tell me about uh, about your vision and what you want to do. Like, what's next for Natalie Joe? Like, I'm excited (laughs) for you. So I, um, when I first got out and I was going to, there was a meeting house um, up the street from me. And I would go every morning. And I would sit in the back of the room, still pretending like I didn't belong there. But, you know, but there was a banner above the podium. So whoever was speaking, you'd see it. And it says, move that mountain. Hmm. I would stare. I stared at that sign for a year. Move that mountain. And I, being that I lived in Colorado, mountains are amazing to me. I just love my life there. I love being there. The, it's just beautiful. And the scenery is just breathtaking. It's my, it's my place where I can go and take a deep breath and, and know that I love the mountains. So when it came down to me, you know, and starting my own business as a coach was another story, but I never meant to. I got into coaching so I could change or help my mom. And little did I know who was going to be the one changed. Unbelievable. That's how this whole journey started is because I thought I could help someone else. Turned out it was going to be me. But when I came down to picking in a name for my business, it just kept ringing over and over again. And so majestic so powerful with the faith of a mustard seed you can move mountains and that and i think that's what it takes it takes just that small push no matter how small it is and i believe in that and that's why i base my you know my work on is just helping people with those small simple steps you got to start somewhere beautiful i love the work that you're doing now that's amazing thank you it's just yeah i just i'm still thinking of all the things that you said there's a lot in there there was a lot what advice do you have for somebody that is having a difficult time taking the first step what and they see things as so big that they can't possibly start or maybe that they're feeling alone. It's so tough because things are so hard, but dealing with them alone makes it almost feel impossible. And I'm sure it sounded like there were different stages in your life where you felt very alone. Is there anything that you can say maybe to somebody who's listening right now that is in the same position that you were? How can they get started even on the one 
simple thing? Is it just forget, you know, just giving themselves one thing, one reason to start? I will tell you how I didn't have a vision and I didn't have an expectation. I was so down, so broken. I was laying face flat down and I just, I don't know, I had the strength to just get up and to answer your question, it's consistency. I think anyone listening to this already has a, a seed planted. Yes. Um, finding somebody, a support group, support system. I, I mean, I went to AA. I didn't like it, but I went and I just kept going and kept going. I didn't have a vision of what I expected out of it. And I think that's a hard thing for people. And I noticed that in coaching is everybody wants to know what the final is going to look like. The end result, what, what's it going to look like when I'm done? What's going to look like, when, what, what am I going to get out of this? Um, part is letting that part go and just going, taking that first step and that next step and not have the expectation because you're going to change and grow along the way in ways that you have not even imagined if you taking that first step. Hmm. Yeah, it's so important. That's a hard question. Um, I think it might be different for everybody as comes, well. It just comes from this space inside that just made me go. Um, and like you said, God played a big part. Yeah, it was just like, I was a marionette for a while. I, I really believe that. I was just a marionette and I was just kind of going but luckily I was a magnet too. I was a metal magnet. So um, I could collect. I, I think, oh, here's a big one. Listening. Something I had to learn to do that was really tough. Listening and being open. Not being so sure of yourself. When you need, when you need help, you don't have all the answers. Be a little open. I had to learn, it took me a year to learn what the word humble meant. I had to learn what the word listening. I mean, I, those are words that are just so common that I, I just came, I just got to where I was going by putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, even if I you feel like you- Oh, surrounding yourself with people who are uplifting, mm. um, really, really not, really avoiding the ones that, I felt comfortable being in situations where I wasn't wanted and I had to stop doing that. If you don't want me there, I just, I kind of had to get some self-respect. Yeah. Um, did you find that you were maybe hanging out with people that you really didn't like? Yeah. Nobody you know? was there when you know, I was gone for two months and who called me, who left a message for me wondering where I was at. Mm -hmm. Only a few good people. And that is what it what yeah. important. So for and people like for people listening out there too, you can be on the other end, be willing to listen to someone, you know, and be that one person people can reach out to because sometimes it's hard when you're in that situation and in that mindset and, in, and engulfed in your feelings, you don't know to reach out to somebody or you can't find someone, you know, and sometimes it takes somebody outside of your circle to really notice sometimes friends don't really see it or they you know don't really invest the time or family sometimes it takes a complete stranger to say hey you know and that brings you out i think i think 
if more of us did that and we're open to starting conversations with people and just having an open heart and just really watching people's body language and you know just giving a you know giving somebody some hope i think that's really important because even if we're ready to do it i want to say to that well and to comment on that it's like our friends and our family and not this isn't for everyone but a lot of times they're our biggest they might be our support but they're also our biggest enablers are yes. also the ones that care so much about us that they don't want to see us hurting. And if our journey of whatever it is we're going through is too painful, they'll be the first ones to say, Oh, you don't have to do that. honey. This is too they try to take care of you rather than right. help and you. They, they mm -hmm. pull you back because yes. they see your struggle and they don't want you to struggle. So in their mind, they're trying to protect you from moving forward because it's too hard. Don't just don't do that. So you, we self-sabotage and they don't do it on purpose. But no, it's coming from a place of love, right? Yeah. Yes. So what you said about finding that external person. And then what you also said was being that external person. If you're that person, like I remember the first time, I mean, I probably sat in there for eight or nine months before I finally spoke up. Mm -hmm. And once I, somebody shared a story and I had to make a comment. And once I just did that, it was like, oh. Mm. the whole floodgate opened up it when I felt the need to say something and I said it and I saw the response I what came out of my mouth just helped the guy sitting next to me or the lady over there mm. it changed me instantly mm -hmm. so I would say to people you know even if you're not if it's not in your own circle it's helping someone else is going to help you back mm -hmm. So even if you feel like you're new in your journey or you don't have anything to give, you do. We all do. It doesn't take a certain timeline or a certain amount of pain or a certain amount of goodness before we're ready to give back. We'll give back because we are. We are. Period. We are. And we're here. Yes, so no, I love that. no secret sauce to helping someone. And it's totally reciprocal. Like when I learned how to smile. <laughs> That was one of the first things I learned how to do is smile at people in public. It sounds so silly, but I didn't. I scowled. I was always in pain. And once I started smiling and someone smiled back, I was like, oh, just a, it's amazing. Yes, it's the simple things, right? <laughs> yes. yes, it's been such a gift. Yeah. And it, it's funny that you say that because that's the one thing that helped me. Like I've been to grief therapy. I've been to grief counseling, different things. And it wasn't until I started helping other people that I started to heal, you know? Exactly. So that's it's what I just, said. That there's no timeline on that. No. Today, no. you know, but no matter what, just smiling helps somebody. You just never know what they're going through. I had to let go of my pain and my anger and I, but and no, I take that back. I didn't have to let go of it first. I had to start to smile first and that helped me to let go of it. So it was that, it was that order. But I had to consciously, again, it's a muscle. You got to work it. The smile is a muscle and you got to work it. You're so incredible. What is the, if I could ask you, what is the thing you're most proud of today? Because you have come a long way, girl. Being who I am for my mom. Oh, beautiful. Because she wanted this so badly. Just being okay for her 
so she didn't have to worry about me anymore. I caused her a lot of grief. Aww. So the fact, just the fact that she doesn't have to worry about me and now she can concentrate on her is what I think is the best thing I have going. Oh, that's There's so a lot beautiful. Of things, but that's probably the deepest. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you cry. I just well, no. I think it's just verbalizing it and the fact that she might yes. hear this is gonna make her <laughs> cry. But maybe she should hear it. You know, maybe you should have her hear it. It's she's the reason I I am who I am today. Even though she'll tell you she had nothing to do with it, she doesn't know. She has no idea. <laughs> I hope she can feel that soon. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, you were saying in, in when you were talking earlier about how you have to, you know, when you're a practitioner and, and you have to, there's a standard, right? And how you can't be yourself. And, you know, I found that I felt that way with my parents. So it wasn't until I was older that I'm like, oh, my God, they're actually people. Like they have likes and they have dislikes and they have their own struggles and you don't see that. So you're like, oh, they're just my mom or dad and they're driving me crazy and this and this and that, right? But it's not till later that you're like, hey, I see the sadness. I see, you know, the struggles. I see, I see you. That was one thing for me. I always regretted not seeing that earlier because maybe I could have helped. So the fact that you're so insightful and unselfish that way, and I just wanted you to know it's, I think it's beautiful, you know, that you want, I don't know, you that your answer was about your mom and not about yourself. That says a lot about you. I just remember the day I realized <laughs> parents are people too. I, like, I remember that that day, like when you realize your parents are people too. And I've, I've said that so often in conversation when we're, we sit around and complain about our parents, it's like true. realizing that day that they are people. So I know it's crazy. And I know, wow. I, I know that you, that you lost your father and that's, that's gotta be, um, I have both of my parents and they're the, my biggest heartache they can listen to this because they care so much. I didn't have kids. And so I have all my caregiving goes to, you know, friends, family, dogs. And, and yourself now. Me. Yes. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say to me, get over it. Your dad died and he died, you know, 15 years ago. But to me, it's more than the fact that he's not here. Like people don't really ask me. And it's not like I just thought this might be a good way to, to say it. Um, it was more about my parents did not speak English. So as a child, they, you know, they're immigrants. I always had to help them, you know, with reading and with banking and all these things just because they didn't know. And I was always helpful or I tried to be helpful, even taking care of my little brother, you know, doing everything that I could, right? But when my father was dying, I couldn't help him. So I struggle more with not the fact that he's not here, but the fact that the one time he needed me, I wasn't there. So that, and I know that's not true, 
but it was the suffering that took place before he died and the and all the bonding that took place way too late you know because people are like well i've you know i've also lost somebody and it's been a long time and just kind of get over it and that angers me because everybody grieves differently so i just wanted i just thought it was a good time to bring that up because yeah you just you know you just don't know people have been through worse things than me absolutely but we all feel differently you know and that moment changed my life and that's why it's made such a difference to me you know yeah anyway sorry i just wanted to well that's interesting that you say that about your dad and whether or not this right now being the medical professional that i am and the functional health coach that i am and i know so much about the body and how much we can prevent certain things in our life and make our health better so we don't have to suffer so we or we can minimize our suffering and just live healthy. And the one thing that I battle with when you said you weren't there, able to be there, I'm trying to be there now mm. to prevent my dad, and I'll throw my mom in there from suffering. And it, I'm up against a wall. It's hard. That's a heartache because I know I can help now when he's still here. Yes. And being, but then again, it's not, you know, I, that's the toughest part of my whole career is seeing the potential in other people that (laughs) they don't see and having to let them be themselves. Yes. Being okay with them being themselves is the hardest thing. Yes. Because like, you can recommend all these things, but you I'm can't sure make parents, them do it. Parents feel that way about their kids, right? Yes. You see this potential, but they're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's how I feel about clients and family. And yes. But you can't. As you far know, as healthcare. You can make the recommendations, but you can't make them want to do it it's so frustrating i'm sure there's a saying that just came up it says you can lead a human to knowledge but you can't make them think is there anything uh natalie joe that you wanted to mention today that we didn't uh we didn't get to or we didn't touch on i just think you're doing a great job and i am just you guys are the great ones you're coming on here overwhelmed with joy about being able to be here and and feeling comfortable to, you know, open up and thank you for allowing me to share. I just pray that it helps and helps somebody. And of course, as far as reaching out, I'm sure you'll put our information in the notes and people can always reach out to me. Any of your listeners that have questions that want to follow up an email or I love dialogue with people. I love it. I love talking and helping and anything I can do to support somebody anyway people are welcome to reach out to me through this um podcast yeah thank you for wanting to help people and you know to answer your question of course it's helped somebody i'm sure it's helped more than one person and thank you for being so brave and courageous and honest you know it's the honesty i i see great things for you (laughs) it's great and 
you can't see this, uh, listeners, but behind her is this beautiful wall, and it's got mountains behind it, and it's just majestic and, and big, and move that mountain, you know? It's gorgeous. So thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for coming on here and sharing your story and really getting us to think about different things, getting us to think about being that person for someone who can't reach out, you know, for understanding bullying a little bit more and that hurt people do hurt people. You know, I think I need to read that book and just a lot of things things that happened to you when you were a child and addiction. You, you really touched on so many things. And we need to love ourselves first because none of this healing would be possible if you don't start with giving with you, to yourself. And that's the whole reason for having this podcast. I think it, it has to start with us. So it sounds like you're in a really good place and you're helping other people. And this is fantastic. Thank God for you, right? Thank you. And likewise, Nelia. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.